Hello, it's Kerry and Rachel. Rachel, what are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs> Welcome to Dirty Vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world, exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables. 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 Hello everyone, welcome back to Dirty Vegetables. Today we're going to be talking about cows, lovely cows. Um, we're going to be talking about how they are sentient beings, why the beef and milk industry is detrimental, and a little bit about our experience and how not to eat cows, essentially. So the question we'll really be focusing on today is why should we love and fight for cows in all of their glory? But first of all, before we get started, what's been happening, Rachel? Where are you in the world? In the van? Well, um, since the last episode, I spent a lot of time in the Dolomite Mountains. For two weeks, I was there in this little town called Lambroy, and we had a wonderful time. We've got to know a lot of the residents in this little remote town, and we had vegan dinner with them. Um, we one of the guys owns a restaurant and he did us a completely vegan tasting menu which was just insane with all of his vegetables he's mm. grown in his own farm such an amazing experience Unreal. i took some pictures and we just had a real nature retreat hiking and bathing in the rivers we literally were using this one river that was close to the van as our shower the whole two weeks we were there we had completely eco bio products so we were like using our like solid shampoo bar in the river which just felt so refreshing it was so nice <laughs> and had a, lo- a lovely time but now um as of as of yesterday we left the dolomites and now we're in croatia we did quite a big drive yesterday we just really built up momentum. We thought we would stop in Slovenia for a while and then come into Croatia. But we just, as we kept on driving and driving, we were like, oh, well, we're only half away from an hour away from the border. We might as well keep on going. So we kept going, kept going. And now we're in Croatia because later on this week, I have a festival, Defected Croatia, which I am so excited for. It's the best festival in the world. Um, I had the best time ever last year and I can't <laughs> wait. I've got outfits organized. Um, some of my friends from university are going to be joining us. I am buzzing. Um, so yeah, that's my updates. What about you, Carrie? That sounds delightful. See, like washing in a river. I want to do that so bad. I got a shower. I just got a shower there, but I haven't showered in like five days. <laughs> I was camping as well this week um, around the west coast of Ireland, which is, I was just blown away. The sun was shining. And it is probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. I would really recommend, Rachel, if you can ever bring the van over there, get to the West Coast. So there's the Wild Atlantic Way, which goes right from the very top of Ireland down to the bottom. And it's a whole route. It's like a mapped out route. Um, and we just did sort of the top half. So we were in a place called Strand Hill, which is part of County Sligo. And then we went up to Donegal which I'm sure you've heard of Donegal. I have. And a place called Mm -hmm. Killy Beggs. The campsite was just stunning. Like it was overlooking the sea, but it was like really raised. So it was really high up. So you were overlooking the sea and there was like a wee lighthouse and everything. Oh, wow. It was so quiet. Like I have not experienced that much silence in such a long time. It was amazing. 
So we just like didn't shower for five days, but we had wee BB wipe showers. <laughs> Not work. quite as refreshing as uh, showering in a river with um, eco products, but hey ho, you know. But now I've come back to my house, which we're mid move, as you know, moving back to Edinburgh. It's like a bomb site in here. <laughs> it's like going from the most tranquil time, like it was just stunning, back to an absolute chaos in this house it's like instant stress of just crap everywhere so um i'm really looking forward to just tidying everything up and getting things packed and away um so yeah glorious i've had a glorious week but it's a bit stressful now although whilst we were staying in that campsite in killy bags we were as i was writing this episode like researching this episode there was we were literally sitting by cows like so many cows and they were all like staggered up this hill and like literally like I said it was completely silent apart from like the moos of cows <laughs> like mm. you just hear like like really really loud it was just so lovely like so nice I love that and there was like we sheep around as well like baaing baaing um so yeah it was lovely to have that backdrop for this episode very nice segue <laughs> there you go again with your segue <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> so to start off with the dirty ingredient of the week this week we have drum roll nutritional yeast aka nooch sounds so awful <laughs> it sounds like a really horrible ingredient doesn't it nutritional yeah. yeast it's but definitely it's a bizarre name and I think not. it's something that people who aren't vegan would be like what <laughs> what do you need to buy like nutritional yeast like it does sound really obscure but it's great and where it where it originates so let's see if I can say this I had to research this and it's one hell of a word so nutritional yeast is made from a single cell organism called saccharomyces cerevisiae Stunning. <laughs> and it's grown on molasses, then harvested, washed and heat dried, which deactivates it. It's alive. It's yeast. And the most common uses. So it's kind of used as like a savoury cheese substitute. It has this kind of really distinctive kind of like nutty, cheesy, kind of salty flavour. It's really hard to explain, actually. It's got a very distinctive flavour. And I, the most common uses for it is kind of like a cheese substitute people will put it in sauce or they'll sprinkle it on top of pasta kind of like a parmesan but i've heard that there's some really good fake parmesans out there i haven't actually tried any of them have you carrie i had well i tried one that was like a supermarket one it was like bio life i think but i've used it in a parmesan before so i've blended it up with if you blend it with cashews a bit of salt and pepper i think that was all a nutritional yeast blend it up quite fine and put it on like a carbonara or something it's so so good mm, that does sound good most common uses yeah so things like pasta sprinkle on top of pasta make it into a sauce um and how we use it i have this a very distinct recipe immediately comes to mind when i think about nutritional yeast and it's one from fern the good old fern it's this tray bake she does and it's like new potatoes um cauliflower thyme 
turmeric and nutritional yeast and you kind of bake everything in the oven and then you blend part of like the potatoes and the cauliflower with uh, milk of choice and then nutritional yeast and turmeric and it creates this kind of like really thick creamy sauce that you then like baste the remaining vegetables with shove it back in the oven and then that's it and it, and it's so simple but it's so tasty it's this like real comfort food vibe that is great in winter i made it a lot in winter actually and it's so good i really recommend it. and it's so simple um so yeah that's how i use it most often what about you how do you use mm-hmm. nutritional yeast well just on that recipe i haven't made that one i made sort of like a a tech on that but i used jackfruit instead so i put like made like a jackfruit pie but kind of made that sauce in fern's big and um, with the nutritional yeast and all of those lovely ingredients and i it was delicious mm-hmm. i would give that a wee go it's really good putting jackfruit in it because it makes that sort of like chickeny sort of pie thing yeah that's a good tip yeah but i i put nutritional yeast in like everything like i'll just sprinkle a wee bit in if i make an even like spag ball i'll just pour a wee bit in anything sort of cheesy i've made like different i've tried to make my own vegan cheeses before i made like a vegan mozzarella once it was pretty good it was quite stretchy put a bit of that in yeah i make this like pasta sauce using jalapenos so it's quite spicy and loads of spinach so it's like a really a sauce that's really really good for you it's really extremely vibrantly green oh <laughs> and i would use like put a bit of lemon in make it quite tangy um, and jalapenos or you can just use chili and then I put nutritional yeast in that and it makes it this sort of cheesy spicy green really good for you sauce mm. so that's but yeah I sprinkle it in I sprinkle it on everything nice. although it does say on the box something like using cereals or something <laughs> I can't imagine using it I don't know if it, I don't think it means in your like Kellogg's, but no, like rice or quinoa. Because that's that's not cereal, though, is it? Is it? <laughs> I mean, I don't know for certain, but I, that makes me think of like grains, like bulgur wheat and quinoa and couscous. But I, I could be totally off the mark mm, there. Maybe, maybe that is cereals. You could be right. Let us know, I guys. Just, I, I was, <laughs> it's funny when you read it and like I just I just think of sprinkle it on your porridge or something like mm, I wouldn't bother like <laughs> I mean some people do have savoury porridge though that's really common in Scotland they'll have it with salt and then they'll often add other things like cheese vegetables beetroot really mm-hmm. oh god no that's wrong yeah but then if if you just see it as like a neutral carb is it a carb yeah I just doubted myself even saying carb there I'm pretty sure porridge <laughs> is a carbohydrate like yeah, then, yeah. then, then, yeah, you can have it in any way. Like I see it as almost like a risotto sort of end product, which could be pretty fucking good. Excuse my language there. Pretty freaking good. Social construction, you know, it seems wrong. <laughs> I've been brought up to think it's wrong, so it is wrong. <laughs> Only ever golden syrup on porridge. Thank you very much. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> so, in terms of where to find it and nutrition. From my personal experience, it used to be a really hard thing to find. When I first started being vegan, I couldn't really find it anywhere apart from kind of like specialist shops, some like really cool, trendy vegan shops. I wouldn't be able to find it in like your Sainsbury's or your Tesco if we're talking about UK supermarkets. Now that's totally changed and you can buy it pretty much everywhere. I I suppose more so the bigger supermarkets, but it's pretty easy to come by. 
But at the start, I had to buy it online. I bought a massive sack of it once um, online because I just couldn't find it anywhere. And I was getting so frustrated because I needed it for a lot of recipes that I was like, I'm going to buy this in bulk. So I bought a massive sack of it. But in terms of Europe, I just want to mention that it is something that's really hard to find here. I don't think the market has picked up here as it has back home. And I mean, I, I was able to find it, but certainly not in your standard shops. You had to go to like specialist shops and those were the shops I had to go for too for like miso paste as well or um, coconut milk things like that you cannot buy in your your bulk standard supermarket in a lot of Europe so there you go that's such a shame I just remembered something else that I have it in that's really absolutely banging so I make these like I've probably mentioned this before I think it's that loving it vegan website Do you ever use that no it's like recipes it's really, really good. Anything I've made from it has been really delicious. But there's loads of nutritional yeast. They put like a big tablespoon in the mince and you mix it with tofu and walnuts blended. And that makes like the mince and then you bake it with like soy sauce, maple syrup, spices and stuff. It's unreal. <laughs> that does sound good. Yeah, walnuts for meat substitute, I think is quite genius. It's a good kind of example of whole foods, not using anything processed. Okay, so in terms of nutrition, and this might seem like a really like silly thing to say, but I genuinely, despite the name nutritional yeast, I really didn't realize that nutritional yeast is actually really, really good for you. It's like a health food that's got so many good things in it. And I think it's because when you like see nutritional yeast and taste it, it doesn't feel like something that's healthy. I don't know. It, it feels almost like, I don't know. I ju- it just surprises me that it's good for you, but it is. It's got a great source of vitamins and minerals. And it also contains all nine essential amino acids, making it a complete protein. And complete proteins are important nutrients that assist functions like tissue repair and nutrient absorption. And they also may prevent muscle loss. So yeah, nutritional yeast is like super good for you. It's got all the good things in it for you. So it's actually something that you should, as a vegan, include in your diet as much as possible. Put it on your Cheerios. Put it on your Cheerios. Okay, so we're now going to move on to the main section of the podcast. And I just want to say before we start, a lot of the information from this podcast has been taken from two books. So one of them, The Inner World of Farm Animals by Amy Hatkoff. And then also This is Vegan Propaganda by Ed Winters. So first of all, we're going to talk about the nice part (laughs) about how cows are sentient beings. And Just to start off, so cows have actually been domesticated for more than 8,000 years, which seems insane. But they're such amazing animals. They possess really surprising emotional qualities. They're very perceptive and sensitive and they're very attuned to one another. So they even, things like grieving, they're thought to grieve at the loss of their family or their friends. And they just do a lot of really lovely things. Like cows, when they're excited, they'll jump. Cambridge University conducted a study which showed that young dairy cows appear excited when they successfully learned how to unlatch a gate to obtain food. And the same studies show that they have self-awareness, which is one of the main components of consciousness, which is a big reason humans think it's okay to eat cows and different animals because they think that they're not as conscious as humans. But these studies just show that that's completely untrue. And even just thinking about about things that I've seen. Did you ever see that um, video, Rachel, with the cow jumping about in the snow and it's like licking the snow? No. <laughs> Did you see that? 
So there's like this video, it went like viral. <laughs> I kept seeing it on like Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And it's just snowing and the cow's licking, like it's big long tongue is coming out and licking the snow. And it's just loving, you know the way humans would do that? Running around and you would open your mouth to taste the snow. And it's just little things like that. We videos that you see, or if you've had an experience being around cows, you can see that, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I have some experiences with cows as well that really demonstrate to me that they are sentient and they have kind of got this social and emotional intelligence. I remember there was one time, I'm from Kinross, which is in Scotland, and there's Loch Leven Heritage Trail, which is quite famous. It's uh, like a 13 mile uh, track that goes all the way around Loch Leven, this big lake with a castle in the middle where Mary Queen of Scots was imprisoned, but that's beside the point. And I was cycling around it once and then I came across this herd of cows and it was clear that they'd managed to venture like really far away from their field because they were kind of like in the middle of nature, like in the mid- middle of like bushes and trees and they were like in this like riverbed and you just really got the sense of that something was like up. Like all the, all the cows were kind of looking at this one cow that looked like he must have been, he or she must have been the leader and like this leader cow looked really almost guilty like was like averting eye contact with me kind of like looking at the ground and averting eye contact with the other cows and the other cows were kind of staring at it almost to be like how did we get here and where are we going next and there was just so much emotion and kind of awareness like seeping through this situation that I was like I was kind of like wow like it stopped me in my tracks and I like stopped and watched them for a while to wondering what they were going to do next and you could just just tell that there is this like strong social bond and strong kind of interaction going on between the cows and this one cow was the leader and and it's true that like cows elect leaders in their herds um and the leader is often based on how like inquisitive and curious um the leader is and i think the leader of this herd clearly was really curious about the world because he led everyone he i keep keep on saying he i think it's because the face of this cow looked quite male but who knows it could have been a she so well like they're always they're always female. Cows are always female. If they're dairy. No, like bulls will only be used for like um impregnating the cow. They don't they don't put like more than one bull in a ring. <laughs> a ring's not the right word. They don't put more than one bull in But I think they start you sometimes like do eat male cows for beef. But I don't think they're raised in a herd. Not often. Though. I'm actually just gonna, I'm gonna Google this. Are all cows in herds? This doesn't give me a definitive answer. I think you're you're definitely right that the majority are female, definitely dairy, um, but I think, and beef even, I think often they disregard the males, but not always. Sometimes they do eat males. I imagine they would still eat the males, but I didn't think they kept the bulls Maybe they do, but they just castrate them. Yeah, they castrate them by yeah. tying like bands on their. Yeah, but to, by castrating them, does that make them not like attack the other cows? So maybe they are male. Maybe you're right. Okay, go on. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. That's okay. I was pretty much finished with that story. So yeah, cows possess very strong social intelligence and they um they form complex social bonds between them 
and they rely on each other for a sense of well-being and I guess a sense of purpose as well. They are very aware of each other's emotional state and they have hierarchies that they organise themselves in and they tend to do a thing called calf sitting where if um, a mother is occupied other mothers will take care of calves and they show evidence of empathy towards one another and it's just super important for them to to stick together and to be in this herd. Yeah, there's other things like there was a farmer who would play music to the cows and they would actually produce more milk when they were listening to classical music as well. And they've they've got a really good memory. They can remember. I remember we were talking about chickens have a really good memory in another episode. Cows do as well. They can remember 50 bovine faces, 10 human faces for several years. And they can distinguish people based on like their posture and the way they move. And they have a great memory in terms of migration paths, so they will know where to go back to feed and graze, um, shelter, water, fences, things like that. And I think if you have came across cows, like I'm sure everyone sees cows in the field, especially in the UK, there's just always, in Northern Ireland, there's just always cows. But, you know, I was house sitting not long ago and there's loads of cows out in the field right beside um, the person's house I was staying at. And it was really interesting to see the cows, as soon as I came out, they all, and I'm talking, there's maybe about 30 cows in the field and they all came over to me. And I was sort of like reaching out just to see if they would come over and they would jump back. Like they were clearly very scared of humans. Well, they were, they were scared. They were very cautious of me, very weary of coming close. And they were all just staring at me. Like, there's so many faces just staring at me. There was a real curiosity. They were just very aware that I was there and they didn't know how to react. And then after some time, when they noticed, I was like getting down on my hunkers, sort of. And I kept saying like, don't worry, I'm not going to eat you. (laughs) I felt really bad because it was like, when I see cows in the field, I feel very, like, different emotions because it's, like, look how lovely those animals are. They're so beautiful. I love the way, I love when you see them jump and they're just, they're always together in big herds. But then I know the reality of what's going to happen. And it's sort of this mix of emotions. But like even being there with them for a few minutes, like they even started to lick my hand and everything. And it's really funny when you see they're big because they've got such long tongues, right? And they'll come out and like lick you and everything. It was so, it was so lovely to have that experience and just see them like, sort of come around to me after a while you know <laughs> no I think that's, that's such a nice story and I I really relate to that this kind of like bittersweet like oh the they're so beautiful I always think cows are like gentle giants they just seem so gentle and curious and kind I don't know they just seem to like exude this kindness to me for some reason um, I think it's in their eyes and um the way that they look at you um and and yet I'm still, I'm like really vividly aware of what's going to happen and why they're there in the field. And, and yeah, it is, it's, 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 it's a bittersweet thing when I come across cows. Um, and I came across some more when I was in Lambroy, which I mentioned at the start. And there was this herd that lived in the middle of the mountains. It was quite picturesque. And when I like walked near the field, they would all come over to me too. 
and it's just yeah it's just this curiousness that they have and I think that, that really like demonstrates that they, they there's far more going on for them emotionally and mentally than we give them credit for we just think that they're like grass eating pooping milk and beef producing machines but in reality there's got to be more going on if they're like oh what's that I want to go over there and interact with that human like they definitely have more awareness and more sentience than we ever really give them credit and than the industry ever really wants us to believe either yeah and like we said in the chicken episode as well you know this is just the things that the things we're talking about this is the things that we've discovered as humans but there's so much more going on that we won't know there's so much more we'll never understand because we're not we're not guys so we'll we'll never understand all the layers of what they go through and their level of consciousness so moving on to the more difficult part of the podcast um, we're going to talk about why the industry is detrimental to cows and I think that we'll start off by talking about milk um, because I mean the whole world is such big consumers of milk and in particular cow's milk and they actually begin being impregnated from 15 months old via artificial insemination and this is an awful process where the farmer is putting his arm in the back of the cow to inseminate the cow they don't know what's going on and then the the cow gets pregnant and eventually has her lovely little calf and the baby is separated within 24 hours so they allow the they allow the calf to have the colostrum so they'll get all the nutrients and grow better for milk or you know for beef whatever and then they take the baby away and there's i've seen videos before how distressed the animals get when the baby's taken away you know it's it's that is nature for all animals that they're going to look after their baby and they can't um and this is just simply for so the milk can be made so obviously the cow is now making milk and then this is going to get taken out of the cow and sold to humans and um the little baby calf is put in hutches for it's legally they're meant to be there for eight weeks but it's there's cases of them being trapped in this tiny little box for six months um and this is all whilst the mother is going through deep psychological grief for for losing her baby and distress and even dairy cows they're selectively bred like a lot of animals that we use for farming um so they produce 10 times more milk than they should be producing so 10 times more milk than natural and if their body actually gives up through this process because it's such a grueling process of creating all of this milk that they shouldn't be producing the farmers will actually like shackle their legs together because they'll just give up and they'll sort of do the splits and sort of drop to the ground the farmers just won't take that as an answer and tie their legs together forcing them to make more milk yeah that's horrific um already the points that we've noted there um really exemplify how horrible the industry is i think a lot of people think that it's okay to drink milk if you don't eat beef like a lot of vegetarians will still drink milk but think about the life that that cow's going through um it's essentially being raped by a farmer its baby's bit getting taken away from it and it's been its body's been twisted and contorted to the extent that it's producing 10 times more milk than it should and in a lot of cases its legs are giving way and the farmers just shackling them together so yeah horrendous industry and very very far removed from the picturesque 
idea a lot of us have of this farmer sitting on a stool milking the udders into a metal bucket and then children taking a sip of it while it's still warm while the cow cheerfully goes off happy and relieved that it's been milked like that's just not the reality of what's going on at all and another point on like selective breeding and just genetic modification in general I learned about this in the book Farmageddon and I just want to read out a little section that really kind of disturbed me so how about cows that have been genetically modified to produce human milk It sounds like an April Fool's trick, but within the next 10 years, it's conceivable that some kind of hybrid cow-slash-human milk will be available from supermarkets, sold alongside nappies and jars of baby food. At China Agricultural University, scientists have reportedly introduced human human genes into 300 dairy cows, enabling them to produce milk with some of the key properties of human breast milk. Apparently it tastes stronger than the usual stuff, but it contains proteins that boosts an infant's immune system, just as a mother's milk would. The research team performed various other tricks that gave the bovine milk other human qualities. According to newspaper reports, Professor Ning Li, the scientist who led the team, described the result as a possible substitute for human milk. So that might seem insane, right? But I actually think that's more normal than drinking cow's milk. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I've often thought about this. People are really weirded out by breast milk, you know? Like, there's that scene in Friends where Ross is drinking the breast milk. Have you seen that? And he's like, oh, you know, it's horrible. It tastes like cantaloupe or whatever. But, like, why is it weird to... Why would it... Do you think it's weird to drink human milk and not cow milk? Well, I personally... Do you know what I mean? Well, as an adult, I would find that certainly strange. But I find this concept of putting human genes into a cow so that it produces human milk really, like, so far removed from nature that I think we've just lost the plot collectively that we're prepared to do that to cows so they're producing milk that nature never intended them to instead of using our own breast milk. That just seems ludicrous to me and it's such an example of, like, exploitation. Like, we're using that animal for our gain rather than thinking about nature. See, I was thinking you meant, when you read that, I was thinking you were putting the genes in afterwards, but they're actually, like, injecting them into the cow. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's awful. But I think there is this, like, disconnection between human milk and cow milk. Like, I've often thought, imagine women were lining up with their breasts in those big machines, pumping them. Like, imagine that was, like, a job. (laughs) How bizarre is that to think about what milk actually is and why we are drinking another animal's excretions? That's literally what it is. So continuing with what goes on in the industry. So so yeah, we know that the calves will be taken away from their mothers. And in a lot of countries, veal is still widely eaten, especially in Europe, where I am now. And the most common way of eating veal is often white veal. And this is when um, the calves are kept in crates, this time for their whole lives, um, to try and limit as much movement as possible. And they're fed a very low iron diet so that they are technically anemic. And the combination of these two factors of the lack of movement and the low iron makes their flesh very, very supple and tender. And this is deemed as a, a high quality product that a lot of people enjoy to consume. 
Um, and the reality of this is that when these um, calves are eventually taken to their slaughter, a lot of them can't even walk to the start of the slaughter line because the muscles in their legs are so underdeveloped because they've never been able to move. Which is just, I just think it's absolutely barbaric that we're doing this for the sake of a meal that you're going to forget about ne- like the next day. You're not going to be thinking about that meal anymore. And think about the absolute horror that we've put these animals through for that. That's the only life that they've experienced. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realise, and this is something I learned recently um, from the vegan, this is vegan propaganda book, um, is that dairy cows are eaten for meat as well. So dairy cows are actually half of all meat that's consumed. And so when you're, you know, when you're drinking milk and stuff, you're still funding, you're still contributing to the the meat industry as well, because those cows are also being eaten. And it's interesting that cows also, they become infertile or two weeks after about five or seven years. So they're completely exploited for five to seven years of their lives. And then they'll essentially be sent to slaughter or they'll be two weeks and die. But cows are supposed to have a 20 year lifespan. So think of that. That's like at least 13 years less than they should be living. And if you think about it, they're probably happy to die at that point because it's just been a life of complete torture and even one of the guidelines that the rspca makes now the rspca is the biggest governing body of animal cruelty which seems insane that they have decided that any cows that are going to slaughter so pregnant cows um they should be left to hang for five minutes or so so that the fetus will die before they're being slaughtered but this is just simply not followed by a lot of farmers and often the baby actually comes out during the slaughter and is often alive. So this baby in its first moments of life is coming out whilst his mother is getting slaughtered. And it's just, it's absolutely insane to think that this is happening. And all that we see is these lovely little adverts on TV of these happy little cows running around. There's an M&S advert I remember. And all these lovely cows in the field and the, the lovely farmer comes out and is talking about how all of our cows are grass fed and they live a happy, healthy life. No, they don't. <laughs> lies. Complete lies. Absolutely. And this whole like even like grass pasture uh, narrative that we have, like fair, fair enough in the UK, a lot of cows are out on pasture, but virtually none of them are on pasture for their whole life. Um, a lot of them are put into feedlots for at least the, la- the, the final three months of their lives where they their movement is limited and their food intake is increased. Um, and uh, in America and in other countries, they have zero pasture systems where they're essentially kept in these like factory barns for their entire life. Um, so I don't really think it's good enough that we can say like, oh, well, it's okay because the beef I eat in Scotland, you know, Aberdeen Angus steak, come on, is of a very high welfare standard. But think about that cows, cousins and relatives in other nations that are having like an absolute terrible existence where they've been in a factory farm the whole time. Like, it's all connected and 
eating beef in one place is kind of okaying eating beef in other places in my mind so if you're not happy with what's going on in another country that you shouldn't think that it's okay that you can just stand by the practices in your own country which will still be greenwashed to a really really high extent um and on on pasture or not because these cows have been genetically modified so much both dairy and for beef um, they're physically uncomfortable, so it's kind of irrelevant where they are to a certain extent because they're still going to be in pain. And you mentioned the uh, slaughterhouse there and what happens with the pregnant cows. I think I've heard in many places now, both in This Is Vegan Propaganda, but also in Eating Animals Should We Stop, I've heard about these reports of lots of cows getting two or three stages down the slaughter line still being alive. So initially they're meant to be stunned with like a bolt gun, um, which is meant to render them unconscious. Often that's not done effectively. Then they get their throat slit. Then they're hung up by their um, hind legs and then they're getting skinned. And often cows are getting to that that stage where they're getting skinned from the neck down and they're still alive. Um, so this kind of narrative of humane slaughter is is just a load of rubbish and it's horrendous and that's how a lot of cows are, are ending up, both dairy and beef. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you saying about how people say things like, oh, I only local, organic, farmed cow and blah, blah, blah. But the thing about that is, that does that mean that you don't eat any meat when you go out to a restaurant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like by saying that is saying that you know the direct line of where your meat is coming from and I highly doubt that many people know that there will be some people out there but I know the people that I've talked to have said this to me I've I've sort of not known what to say often but then when I've thought about it it's like no but I've been out with you and you've ordered meat you're ordering it from McDonald's Mm -hmm. right and that's not ethically farmed grass-fed happy cows do you know what I mean and at the end of the day whatever wherever the beef is coming from they're still getting slaughtered (laughs) you know what i mean like like you said there's no such thing as humane slaughter and i think that's the the bottom line to it all and no matter what like unless you are the actual farmer how do you know what's going on behind the scenes because repeatedly reports come out about what's happening to farms that are following all the guidelines so these are farms that are strictly in the guidelines and then there's videos that come out of them torturing the animals so you'll never really know what's going on behind the scenes and especially if you're not aware of the processes what actually happen to get the food there you know absolutely absolutely and just like a little tiny note on that whole like buying locally thing um i think that's a lot of concept that's a concept that a lot of people um seek refuge in i only buy locally produced ethically sourced meat but this whole local narrative if we look at it from kind of an environmental point of view, it's kind of irrelevant because the amount of um, greenhouse emissions that are produced from the transportation of the meat is minimal compared to how much is produced overall just by producing the meat. So the decision you should be making overall is how is your food produced, not where are you buying it from? And I think this is kind of like a bit of a, a unrelated topic but a lot of people kind of throw that at vegans in terms of like avocados and almonds all of your avocados and almonds are getting imported that's not very environmentally friendly but all of these um, foods for one the vast majority of them something like 99% of them 
are transported through like massive cargo ships. So the sheer scale of that in terms of how much carbon is produced is nothing compared. It's like it's actually really, really minuscule in terms of the overall benefit of eating plant-based foods, especially as these items are not getting flown. A lot of people assume that they're getting flown around the world and we know that airplanes produce so much carbon, but they're not. They're travelling in huge scales on these cargo boats and it's still comparatively far less environmentally destructive than eating meat even if it's local because the beef is producing so much methane and it's so degrading for the environment the amount of fields of crops that we need to grow monocultural crops that are absolutely drowned in pesticides to create this feed to feed the animals is happening right on your doorstep so it's still really really damaging and it doesn't really matter if it's local or not um, and I just think it's, it's another example of greenwashing and, and consumers trying to kind of like mask their guilt for, for what they're buying. Yeah, I think people that make those but, arguments are probably, yeah. they've just heard that answer and that's what they should say, kind of, rather than really deeply looking into it. Because as soon as you deeply look into it, then you get hit with the reality of what's going on. And it's really hard to peel away from that. And then you'll miss out on your favorite steak. <laughs> oh no. But coming back to the okay. milk, actually, there's so many myths that surround it. Like you're talking about greenwashing, like about kids need milk to be healthy. The amount this was drilled into me at school is insane. So like obviously kids are weaned off, babies are weaned off breast milk or quite early um, or formula and they don't actually need milk to be healthy. So milk consumption during early childhood has been linked to celiac and type 1 diabetes and another study found that no evidence that low fat milk plays any role in preventing childhood obesity um, and what I always remember is getting bottles of milk in school which was really widespread I think it's all over the UK and America and this was actually incentivized when the dairy industry in America started overproducing milk so the government rather than reducing production of milk which seems like the logical thing to do started increasing the production of milk and advertising um, advertising milk on TV that you should drink four glasses a day. And I always remember the marketing for like Cadbury chocolate, like one whole glass of milk in every bar. First of all, you're not fooling anyone with a bar of chocolate, right? It's never going to be good for you. But to say that that is the health benefit of it was having a whole glass of milk in the bar. And I was so brainwashed by this. Like I remember going to the dentist when I'd, I'd gone just gone vegan for not long, and I went to the dentist, and I came out. Um, I called my mom and I was like, "Oh, I've just been to the dentist. You know, I got filling or whatever." And my mom was like, "That's because you're not drinking milk anymore." <laughs> That's what her answer was. Like you're, you must be lacking in calcium, Carrie. And it was coming from a heartfelt place, like as if that's the reason because I stopped drinking milk for probably about four months that had been at this point. Whereas the reality is you get so much more calcium from green leafy veg, like broccoli, and a lot of vegan products are also fortified with calcium as well, which is, is a good thing. This whole thing that you have to have milk is just absurd. Yeah, it absolutely is absurd. And I think the teeth thing ties into the, the overall myth that milk builds strong bones. The dairy and bone health link is one of the most perversive milk myths. And one large scale Harvard study followed 72,000 women for two decades and found no evidence that drinking milk can prevent bone fractures or osteoporosis. And another study of more than 96,000 people found that the more milk men 
consumed as teenagers, the more bone fractures they experienced as adults. And similarly, another study found that adolescent girls who consumed the most calcium, mostly in the form of dairy products, were at greater risk for stress fractures than those consuming less calcium. So these evidence, these studies, and they're reputable studies, like this is coming from like Harvard and stuff. Um, they're suggesting that this the more calcium that we're consuming through dairy products is actually having the opposite effect. Instead of making our bones stronger, it's making them weaker. So how are we supposed to believe this marketing? Like, obviously, there's many sides to every story, and I bet we can find studies that suggest the opposite of this. But the fact that there are studies that are claiming completely opposing ideas means that I think us as consumers, we need to take it into our own hands and decide how much we can trust this industry that has been like using this message for so many years. You need to drink milk for strong bones. If studies are finding the opposite result, is that really true? Or is it maybe an arbitrary, arbitrary, tiny link that was found once? probably by an endorsed study that was put on from the industry themselves yeah and i remember watching cowspiracy this years ago i haven't watched it in a while i'd like to rewatch it but one thing that really stuck out for me was that so drinking milk um and eating uh, eating cows essentially has been linked to a high rate of heart disease cancer diabetes high blood pressure all of the the negative health things that come along with um also injecting hormones into the cows and stuff like that but I, something that really stood out for me in Cowspiracy was they talked about how some of the major cancer charities, so like I think it was a breast cancer charity, was actually funded by the milk companies. So they wouldn't even put on their website that it's you shouldn't be eating less meat or you shouldn't be eating less dairy because they're funded by the dairy companies. So it's just this circle of, you know, greenwashing that you can't, you really can't trust it, that they won't actually even give you proper sound advice on how to avoid getting cancer. And it's, I mean, it's really well known that eating animals is so highly linked to different forms of cancer. In terms of like beef, we've kind of like mentioned it here and there throughout while we were talking about dairy. But just to kind of distinguish what's happening with beef cows versus dairy cows. So beef cattle are slaughtered at 12 to 20 months, 24 months old. Their ears are tagged, their horn buds are burnt off and the males are castrated. All of this is done without any sort of pain medication. Um, so it's really um, painful uh, practices that are going on with these cows. And also in terms of like beef production, feedlots are really common in USA, Canada and Australia where the animals are kept indoors for their entire life. You can have up to 85,000 cows in one um, barn, which is just like an absolute staggering number if you think about it. Um, and they're not getting to um, be on pasture and eat grass, which is the food that is most natural for their body to process. Instead, they're eating um, feed that's made from monocrops um, that are genetically modified to the high heavens and sprayed with loads and loads of pesticides and this is what's being fed to the beef to fatten them up as quickly as possible and then they're getting slaughtered when they're still really babies and I've heard that the um, they've kind of changed the labelling a lot of beef um, and the age range at which a cow has to be to be considered veal versus beef and in reality a lot of the beef that we eat would be considered veal because they're so young but because consumers are sometimes put off by that label they just label it as beef now 
So it's another example of don't always trust the packaging um, because I think in most meat items we are largely eating the babies they've not lived a long and happy life they are largely pretty young and that exists in beef as well okay so moving on to our experiences and was it hard for us to move away from milk and beef um for me beef was something that was probably the easiest thing for me to give up i was never into burgers i was never into steaks it was something I would never order. And I remember going out for like special occasions and feeling like I should order a steak because it's seen as this like luxury product that you, you should have on special occasions. And I remember eating it and always just being like slightly disappointed because it was meant to be this amazing thing. So it was super easy for me to give up beef. It was like, I hardly ate it anyway. Milk, I actually found pretty easy as well. I, I used to drink milk, but it wasn't something that I was obsessed with. I wasn't drinking cups of milk all the time and I think because there are so many substitutes that it was so easy to just move over like when we stopped go when we started going vegan there was definitely less like there wasn't the whole shelves filled with the different milks and in different coffee shops you often had soy milk but not always but nowadays like every cafe in the UK that you go in they've always got like a normally oat milk or soya and usually they have like four or five different ones so there's really that was pretty easy I find it quite hard to give up chocolate <laughs> I remember Easter time being like really that was when I was starting to go vegan I was like oh well I'll just have one wee Easter egg just as a wee treat and I remember finishing the Easter egg and thinking oh, it wasn't really worth it there <laughs> like I didn't get the same buzz because I just knew too much of all the stuff that was going on I just wasn't as excited by it but I think I had chocolate after that again at some point but because I'd moved to dark chocolate which I love dark chocolate so much like I'm really obsessed with it and I'd moved to that then when I had milk chocolate again it just tasted so sweet like I just like I think I had like a penguin or something and it was one of those you know nostalgic snacks from your youth oh a penguin so nice and it just tasted like so insanely sweet and I just didn't I was just like meh don't care about that Another thing was yogurts, which was really easy for me to move over to because there's like Alp. I love Alp or coconut. Really big fan of that one. Um, so overall, that was one of the least difficult things I find. I find moving away from. I said the only one was chocolate for a while. It was hard to get past, but generally it was fine. What about you, Rachel? Um yeah, I feel like I had quite different experiences from you. Um, I was never a big chocolate lover, ever. Um, so I didn't really miss that at all. And I definitely prefer dark chocolate now if I ever do eat chocolate. Um, but I did quite enjoy steak. I mean, I wasn't one of these people that were crazy about red meat. I definitely didn't eat it very often. I would eat other meats more often. But I think I did kind of buy into the whole... Uh, steak is a luxury thing and I used to enjoy ordering it rare with peppercorn sauce which just kind of freaks me out now thinking about it but it was something that I did enjoy um, and 
also milk was something that I used to drink a fair amount of. I remember in first year at university, we had a lot of milk politics in the flat based on like who bought the milk, who drank the milk. Benji, I probably don't know if I should mention his name, but I have now, would like freak out because people had drank his milk and he would like draw lines on it with pen of what level it had reached. Oh, and then I remember that. Callum came in that. with like two. Was it not James? I think it was James. Callum came in with like two massive, like huge things of milk and put them in the fridge and then wrote on his milk and pen, like everyone help yourself, like for everyone to share. And there was just this huge milk politics because for some reason we all drank a lot of milk. Um, And I like really enjoyed milk when I um, ate spicy food. That was something that I would often like, I would have the two together. I would have a glass of milk on the side. Um, But having learned what I've learned and starting to transition towards veganism, I don't miss either at all. Um, steak is something that it's really hard to find a substitute for if you actually want something that's exactly like a beef steak. But in terms of like processed beef, like beef burgers, meatballs, minced meat, I think this is an area that the the fake food empires have done really, really well. And I, it makes me think about Beyond Meat. I think that they have showcased how um convincing you can make like a fake beef burger like they've put so much like refinement and experimentation into their products to try and make them as close to the real thing as possible and i remember seeing these like um this video online of feeding like adults and children beef burgers versus beyond meat burgers and seeing if they could tell which was which for one and to see which one they preferred and more often than not they preferred the beyond meat in terms of the flavor and they couldn't really tell which one was beef and which one wasn't so it just shows that it can be done and we can have a very good substitute that kind of hits the same taste and texture profile nowadays there's a lot of celebrities that are endorsing that brand which i think really helps um popularize it for people who you know are sort of on the fence so like there's a new advert out where Kevin Hart is in the, the ad and they're cooking a burger on the barbecue and he's having the Beyond Meat and he's sort of like, I can't remember the advert, but he's like, oh, you know, why don't you have one of these? There's less, better for the environment, better for your health, blah, 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 all of the whole thing. So I think having celebrities do that is so much better. And also there's a lot of shareholders who are um, who own shares in Beyond Meat. So there's like Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Snoop Dogg as well, I think, Jessica Chastain. Like, I think that is a really good way to encourage people to try it and then realize, hey, this actually tastes really similar. And I don't know if this happened to you before, but I've ordered a burger in a restaurant and actually questioned whether it was real meat or not. I remember in Edinburgh, I got like, it wasn't beyond me to what's that moving mountains. You see that everywhere here. And I remember biting into it and was like, I am actually not sure if this is the real thing or not, <laughs> you know, and it's, that's a really good thing when you have those moments. Um, and I know with the McDonald's McPlant, have you tried it? I haven't tried it yet, but I've heard good things. It's very, like, I mean... It's something I never would have ordered in the past, really, but I have tried it and it's it just seems so similar to me. So similar. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 that's good news because I think um, McDonald's and Burger King and these fast food chains are the environments where people most often eat beef burgers, convenience, tasty, cheap. And I used to like really enjoy Big Macs. That was like my go-to. I really liked a Big Mac for a long time. I loved the sauce. I loved the uh, gherkins on it, the onions. It was good. Um, and yeah, if if McDonald's have made this. Um, fake meat alternative plant-based beef alternative then i really hope that they make a plant-based big mac because i'd be very excited about that that'd be great i've been talking about this recently with tim my boyfriend tim and he's convinced that they won't because you know farmers have too much of a stake in what happens at mcdonald's stake that what happens at mcdonald's you know they've got such a monopoly on different food chains so I think there would be a lot of pushback for them to continue bringing out plant-based items it took McDonald's so long to bring it out and even like I've tried the McPlant and I I still don't feel right eating it (laughs) because I know the damage that McDonald's does so I still feel a bit weird but then you could say that about anything you know if you buy something from a certain supermarket or any food place you go that isn't entirely vegan so it's a really absolutely it's a very hard thing to wrap your head around whether you're doing right or not but i think you can still only do so much continuing on with finding things hard to give up i didn't like i did used to drink milk a lot but as soon as i switched to plant-based based milk like it fully um formed a substitute for me and i never was tempted to go back um like really truly it was just like well this is what i drink now this is milk now and not once have i looked at the milk in a supermarket or in a coffee shop and thought oh i'd rather have that like literally never um i think i did have that little bit with cheese because vegan cheese we've mentioned it before was pretty unappetizing for a while for vegans um but even that's come on leaps and bounds now and we can't say cheese without mentioning the belfast cheese lady um, her cheese is just epic and shows that you can still have that kind of pungent cheesy flavor without milking any cows yeah I think like a lot of my friends who still eat meat or not even vegetarian or anything like they have all switched to plant-based milk as well and I've heard a lot of um, sort of news articles online about different milk companies especially in America closing down because there's such a rise in plant-based milks because I think you know people realize it's so easy and it's such a delicious thing you know I remember one time um I ordered I ordered a hot chocolate and I got it I ordered with soy milk and they accidentally gave me normal milk and I knew actually let's just change that word it's not normal milk (laughs) it's not normal milk cow's secretions they give me and I drank it and I knew instantly and there was such an awful taste in my mouth afterwards it's that like sour milk taste and it was just, I felt so weird after it. And yeah, like you, milk was just, there's never been a moment where I'd be like, oh, I'd love a wee glass of milk. Like never. <laughs> 100% agree. Have you seen those plant um, milk machines? I have. I have seen them. I've not used one. Yeah. I, it's something that I cannot wait to, to get. Like I, I really, really want one. I'll possibly get one whilst I'm still living in the van um because i just think they're brilliant um and it's so simple you like put um whatever your your grain or nut of choice in one section and then water in another section and then press a button and voila plant-based milk comes out which i just think 
is genius and environmental because you're not going to be buying as many cartons of um, the plant milks and shows how simple milk can really be. Yeah, I think the only thing I'll say with those plant machine things, I've seen them advertised and they look amazing, but I think it will be extremely expensive. (laughs) You know, if you're having like milk, plant-based milk every day, the amount of probably almonds or, I mean, oats would probably be fine because oats are really cheap anyway. But if you're making like, you know, a nut milk of some sort, I imagine it would be like extortionate because you probably have to put a whole packet of like cashews in, right? But I suppose you spend a lot of money on milks anyway because they're not that cheap. But one thing I will say is if you're buying plant-based milk and you want to have a very clean diet, look at the ingredients because a lot of the time they put a lot of oil and stuff into the milks all the the major ones like alpro has oil in the milk i'm sure it's not that much really and if you're comparing it to what you're if you're drinking cow's milk there'd be a, like what's in there but um i know there's some of the milks the one that i really like is that jord or jord j-o-r-d um i don't think you get it have you had it yeah. i think it's like i think it's actually a sainsbury's yeah. brand of milk and they do like oat and hemp and it's like a it's a really nice branded bottle as well it's like cardboard like brown and it's got a green label really really good and it's really clean it's got like hemp seeds and stuff in it as well but some of the major ones have a lot of additives okay so this podcast has spoken about cows and all their glory um we've spoken about why cows are sentient beings And we've spoken about kind of some of the horrors that go into the industry in terms of beef and in terms of dairy production. And we finished off there talking about um, how we managed to move past beef and dairy. Um, And overall, the question that we were focusing on in, in this episode is why should we advocate for cows and see them as much more than just um food and beverages what do you think Kerry? yeah so i've really enjoyed researching this episode because i find out a lot more about cows i've always connected with cows i just think they're just such lovely animals and finding out the absolute atrocity atrocities that have been going on in terms of milk and beef it's just absolutely not worth it and rachel like you were talking about what it takes to get a glass of milk is absurd and it's the same with you know getting a steak on your plate the amount of processes that go through that just for that one moment like that one glass of milk or that one steak is just completely not worth it and I think there's such there's so many amazing substitutes today that you know not eating cows or parts of cow has been really easy for me and once you flick that switch it's very easy to realize how many amazing options there are out there yeah absolutely yeah really really well said um and pretty much everything i would say would just reiterate what you've said but i also i love cows too i think they're gentle giants like i said before i think they have a great capacity for love compassion social bonds and their lives amount to way much more than beef burgers and milkshakes and i think that we have the capacity as humans to grow and change and adapt and to um understand that although we've been eating beef for a long time and drinking cow's milk that doesn't mean that we need to continue doing it that way especially if new information and awareness makes us realize that alternatives are probably better for the environment for our health and certainly for animal welfare 
Um, it's a dream of mine one day and as is Kerry's to have some land in the future and to grow my own vegetables and I would love to have some farm animals there and one of the first animals I think of is a cow I want to give it the best life ever I want to like brush its hair and give it a name and give it so much land and um, kind of say sorry through this cow for for all the harm that it, that her brothers and sisters and cousins have had to endure um, and we hope that after listening to this episode you're going to maybe think twice when you've got your hand on the steak in the supermarket and maybe treat yourself to a cauliflower steak instead um, you're probably going to feel better afterwards anyway okay great thank you so much everyone for listening as always you can follow us on instagram at dirty vegetables you can check out all of the show notes we've got recipes and more information on our website at www.dirtyvegetables.com and you can email us with any questions or comments at dirtyvegetables at gmail.com thank you very much for listening bye see you next week bye